Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. Tune in for dialogue between HR experts to amp up your HR strategies. Don't worry, we'll mix in a few laughs as we know you need it. This is Shannon Alford, and you're listening to the DE Talk podcast. There's no denying that talent acquisition is rapidly changing at an unprecedented rate. Use of advanced technology and artificial intelligence, as well as advanced analytics, is quickly becoming the industry standard. And many are wondering why their jobs that was once very people-centric has become filled with technology and tools that make them part futurist, part TA, and part data analyst. Then, take into account the global pandemic, and many organizations are taking this time to rethink their practices and prepare for what the future may hold. But what is the future of talent acquisition? Today, our guest is Peter Weddle, who is perfect to discuss this topic. He is the CEO of PA Tech. He's also served as a CEO of three HR consulting companies. Uh, he's also uh, attended West Point, um, Oxford University, and holds advanced degrees from Middlebury College and also Harvard University. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Shannon. It's great to be here. You and I have known each other for a few years now and had some really great conversations throughout the years. Uh, I'm really happy to have you join me here today. Uh, I know I covered a lot in the intro, uh, but can you tell me just a little bit more about your background? Uh, sure. Um, I, um, I have been in HR my, uh, my entire career in one way or another, but always with a connection to technology. My fascination has always been the intersection of people and technology. Uh, back in the mid-90s, back in the dark ages, I um, sold a company that I had started. It was arguably one of the largest in the country that used computers to match people to jobs. And um, I had a, a lucky uh, break, uh, landed a job as a biweekly columnist for the Wall Street Journal covering the employment space uh, on the internet. And uh, that gave me the catbird seat uh, as the internet was exploding with new capabilities, new functionality all around talent acquisition. So uh, in 2007, 2008, right in the middle of the, uh, the Great Recession, it seemed to me that the industry, this, this brand new uh, technology industry for recruiting had matured enough that it needed a trade association. Mm -hmm. So I founded what is today TA Tech, um, and it serves as the, uh, the centerpiece of the, the trade of the industry for talent technology. It's a global organization, uh, and it, its members cover job boards, social media sites, aggregators, AI machine learning companies, programmatic ad buying companies, recruitment advertising, and marketing agencies. Virtually any organization that uses technology to help employers recruit top talent. Uh, collectively, the, the membership powers or operates 70,000 sites today. Awesome. Are you um, getting a lot of employer um, interest in the association lately, or is it mainly um, vendors and those types of organizations that really participate in TA tech? 
uh, we're seeing a lot more interest on the part of employers. I mean, obviously, as, as you said in the introduction, technology is playing a much bigger role in the recruiting team. Uh, but there's also, you know, a lot of disruption going on in the workplace itself, thanks to technology. So while recruiters are uh, working to absorb all this technology and the jobs they have, the jobs for which they are recruiting are changing at warp speed as well, thanks to the introduction of technology. Whole new industries are being created and other industries are, are in decline. So it's a uh, you know, it's a, a an area where you really need to stay up to speed. Um, you need to become conversant in uh, what's the state of the art and how best to apply it to your particular enterprise or organization. Um, and and I think uh, employers are finding that the best way to do that is through a dialogue. They they want the the companies that build this stuff. Those are our members. They want them to know what recruiters and talent acquisition teams and HR departments need to be successful. And on the other hand, they want to know what is, what is the capability of that technology and equally as important, how do I take it and put it into the tech stack I already own? Awesome. I know that's one of the big reasons uh, that CA tech and direct employers have really uh, partnered is to really try to get, you know, our members more involved. Uh, in the space and learning about different types of technologies. Uh, I know that we had some different conferences planned for uh, this year. Unfortunately, COVID uh, came and uh, uh, didn't allow those conferences to happen, but I know uh, in the future we're hoping to, to, to do some of those conferences, um, those one-on-one conferences to get people, um, companies and employers really up to speed on some of the technologies that's out there. Boy, you and me both. I, I can't wait to get back to in-person events so that we can actually, uh, you know, see and, and interact with people in the real world rather than via Zoom platform. I uh, can't wait. Right. I think uh, there's a lot of uh, Zoom fatigue. Uh, I, I was joking with one of our uh, uh, people on our marketing team today that uh, yesterday was the first time I'd put on a nice shirt in six months. So. Um, Kind of looking forward to uh, getting uh, back out there and having some good conversations with uh, employers and also uh, other people that are uh, in our industry. How have you seen the uh, talent acquisition shift uh, really in the past 10 to 15 years? I mean, I know obviously with COVID going on right now, some things have changed, but uh, a lot of those uh, kind of new technology and things were emerging uh, prior to COVID. And kind of what have you seen? over the last well um i think back in you know in the early days uh let's push it back just a little bit further maybe back to uh, the year 2000 uh really we were questioning the role of technology in the recruiting team how are we going to fit job boards and then aggregators and then social media sites into the strategies and tactics that we have underway. So the real, you know, the real dynamic was figuring out the role of technology. Today, it's exactly the opposite. We're trying to figure out the role of recruiters. All of the technology is now a given. It's obviously different in every organization, but there's no doubt that we're seeing an increasingly automated and increasingly uh, intelligent technology-based 
recruiting function. Uh, and in that kind of environment, what are humans supposed to do? What, what right. can they do that's, that's you know, uh, best for their skill sets, their attributes, their characteristics? Mm-hmm. And I, I know it's your uh, 2000, 2019 uh, PA Tech North America. You gave a presentation and you mentioned um, that there were two events um, that were happening um, that really were going to change pretty much everything as far as talent acquisition uh, is concerned. Um, you know, one of those was, um, I think if I'm correct, was climate change. And the other one, uh, that skips my, my mind, but there were two things that you mentioned. Did you talk about those two things and kind of what um, changes you see because of those um, two events? Sure. Um, as you might re- remember, I, I appointed to the approach of a point of no return. Right. Uh, and that point of no return is defined by two dynamics that are underway. Uh, the first is popularly known as the technological singularity. Um, it's that point in time when machines are going to finally and forever become smarter than humans. Once we pass that point, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. Machines are going to be smarter than humans in every conceivable way. Um, and that point of no return, according to the vast majority of scientists who work in artificial intelligence and machine learning, is just two decades away. It's the wow. year 2040. But at the very same time um, that that is happening, um, the UN's uh, climate change policy group, the one that reviewed all of the latest research uh, and took a look at all of the best scientific uh, thinking, they discovered that the Earth's surface is going to warm to the point where it will be irreversible. Uh, I call that the climactic singularity. It's 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit above the average temperature of the Earth's surface Uh, back at the dawn of the industrial era. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but we're already at 0.9 degrees Fahrenheit higher than that point back in the 1800s when the industrial era began. And look at how severe the weather is. When it goes up another 0.6 degrees, the earth will never, ever get cooler. We will have passed a point of no return for the climate as well. And I I call the convergence of those two events because that climatic singularity uh, is going to also occur in the very same year, 2040. And and that, to me, that is is an event so huge, so impactful to the way we live our lives, to the very definition of what it means to be a human on this planet, that I call it the titanicity. It, it It is something almost beyond imagination. It sounds like science fiction, but it is real and it's going to occur, occur in the, or during the careers of most of the people li- listening to this podcast. Yeah, I, I was just doing some math to see when I was going to retire. And unfortunately, I'll still be in the workforce at that point. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I wrote a book about the first uh, singularity, the technological singularity called Circa 2118, because I think You know, uh, while the point of no return is 2040, what what we humans are going to have to deal with, the changes in our lives, the changes in the way we work, the changes in the way we live, 
all of that will take a hundred years to play out. So it's not like you and I are going to see everything, but we will feel the impact of a, of a world defined by machines that are just flat smarter than we are. And when you lay on top of that, an increasingly volatile weather system, because the planet is angry, we've abused it for too long, uh, you really do have a very different kind of, um, a kind of work, a life experience. I, I don't think it overstates it. I don't think it's hyperbolic to describe it as an existential challenge. Mm-hmm. What do you think, like, how do you feel the global, um, in our current situation, how do you feel the global pandemic has really uh, impacted PA? Well, I, I think, in fairness, you know, talent acquisition isn't just dealing with the pandemic. It's dealing with the social justice movement. It's dealing with the recession. Right. Um, and um, we here at TA Tech, do a weekly newsletter for um, the talent acquisition community in uh, uh, among employers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote a piece called A Cure for uh, Common Corporate uh, Insanity. Um, and what I was talking about there is that uh, Albert Einstein defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I think that's what a lot of companies are doing. Um, they are looking at the impact of the pandemic, looking at the impact of the recession and the social justice movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of hiring has stopped. Right. Um, so what they are doing is they're doing what they've always done. They are reducing the budgets of recruiting teams. They're laying off recruiters. And yet at the very same time, that they're doing that, they're telling those recruiting teams, now listen, the key to business success is high performers. So we want you to get out there and hire a whole bunch of high performers. And oh, by the way, while you're doing that, make sure that it's a diverse community, uh, a diverse population and, and that we have, uh, you know, DNI well covered. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're laying this huge, uh, requirement on the recruiting team, but at the same time, they're, going back to old habits, reducing the budget, cutting headcount. Yeah, we actually had a, um, a DNI roundtable yesterday. And one of the things that people, well, one of the questions that we asked um, basically was, I mean, you're seeing your budget uh, get cut and are you asked to do more uh, with less. And pretty much everyone on that Zoom call showed a DNI in the head, yeah. So uh, I definitely think that you're right. I mean, people do revert back to, to you know, what they know, unfortunately. Um, and start to, you know, reduce uh, headcount and still expect, um, you know, all the, the work to get done. Um, do you think um, that technology, um, I mean, obviously it can play a part in that to help. Um, but how do you feel, like, what do you think about AI and how that's going to play a role um, moving forward in talent acquisition? Well, um I think uh, it, it is a challenge. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think the problem is that the capability of uh, this intelligent technology is uh, is accelerating and growing so fast that we're quickly passing the point where humans can keep up. I mean, you know, Moore's law said that 
the power of, of computers was going to double every two years. Well, that looks like horse and buggy kinds of, of rates compared to the way AI is developing. Um, so I, I think, you know, in the near term, there are two challenges. Um, you know, we, we do a, a, a biweekly webinar series for HR and talent acquisition people called TA Tech Live. And when people register, we only ask them one question, and that was, or that is, um, in addition to the COVID-19 pandemic challenge, what is the single greatest challenge that you're facing in talent acquisition? Um, and in many cases, among the top three responses, every time we run the uh, run a program is, is two things. The, the first is keeping up to date. You know, how do... How do we as talent acquisition professionals even know what are the capabilities out there, let alone what will work in our organization? And the second is, how do we integrate this stuff into our tech stack and make sure that it works as represented? Right. Um, so I think, you know, uh, those are two big challenges that companies are going to have to address here and now, uh, and they're not trivial by any means. And then, as we said at the very outset, um, as time goes along and this stuff becomes more and more powerful, we're going to have to really figure out where humans, uh, where humans fit in. Okay. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. And you know, another thing that I, you and I had talked about, um, actually last year, um, was helping companies understand, uh, what AI really is. Um, and you know, I, I know a lot of people help, uh, that they, their systems, you know, are powered by AI and um, that type of thing. But um, I think, you know, for some people they or some organizations, if they um, you know, use AI in their product descriptions, that employers are going to gravitate towards it when in all actuality their system may not really be through AI. It may be more of a, um, a table or a matching, um, you know, type of a situation. And I know the one-on-one series that we were going to have uh, this year really covered what really is AI. Um, and I feel that that's something that we still um, need to do in, in, in 2021. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there there's even an argument among uh, AI developers about what AI is. So if they can't get it uh, get agreement. Uh, it, it's going to be tough for us lay people who are trying to put the stuff to work. But, but I do think, uh, to your point, we need to be at least conversant enough that we can tell when we're listening to hype, when we're listening to techno babble, and when we're right. listening to people who really do have a product with powerful, intelligent technology, deep learning, machine learning, natural language processing, any of the variations. Uh, of of artificial intelligence that we uh, that we are able to uh, employ today, and those really are just the precursor. the 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 power of the technology, it, it, you know, is is just unlimited and uh, continues to advance every day. Right. And and one thing you mentioned earlier, you talked about the social justice movement. Um, do you think technology can make a difference for companies trying to do better? Uh, in the DNI space. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because obviously it's it's uh, on everybody's uh, mind these days. 
Um, and, you know, it, I'm sure your email box, as is mine, is filled with invitations to webinars and discussions about uh, how best to advance uh, a company's DNI. Uh, and I think it's important to adopt, uh, to examine and where appropriate, adopt new strategies and tactics. I, I, I do think that that um, is a worthwhile exercise. But here's the rub. As you and I were talking about the other day, culture starts at the top. Right. Um, and a, a talent acquisition team can have really some of the best strategies, the, the best thought through tactics. They can do it all right. But if it isn't a, a, a true facet of the company's culture, um, they will not be successful. Uh, and that was brought home, you know, um, uh, glaringly in a story in the New York Times this past Monday about a company called Carta, which uh, was a Silicon Valley, or maybe still is, Unicorn Valley uh, Unicorn, Silicon Valley Unicorn, a unicorn that, you know, really a very successful company in the financial services place. And their CEO uh, made a lot of public statements. They even promoted it on billboards in the Valley about how, uh, every employee and companies in the future should be an owner of the company. That, you know, the old way of, of working was really more about serfdom, um, and the future uh, was going to be about people owning a piece of the rock. The problem is that um, apparently uh, that didn't happen, uh, and the company has now been sued by a number of former employees. And, and what's to me, what's most tragic is the title of the article about this company. It was Talking Equality But Not Practicing It. Uh, and if, if a company says all the right things, but because of the culture from the top, it doesn't walk the talk, then no matter what the talent acquisition team does, it will not be successful. You know, that, that is a great point. And we touched a lot on that. Uh, well, I know you and I have had that conversation a few times, and I know that uh, during our roundtable we had yesterday, uh, that was, was really touched on, because I think everyone out there is looking for, you know, technology, you know, to, to really help them do this. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, technology, I feel, can play a part in it. But like you said, I mean, it needs to be part. I mean, if, you're, if your culture is not um, one that, you know, actually promotes diversity, um, it doesn't matter what piece of technology you use, you still won't have a diverse organization. So um, definitely on the same page with you there. And um, I know that, you know, I've been asked that question a lot. And uh, you're right. I've had so many things in my inbox uh, about uh, diversity webinars and different, you know, just different things around diversity that people are, are inviting us to and trying to get us to participate on. But, um, uh, yeah. So. Another quick question I have for you. Um, I mean, you see technology every single day. I mean, you live it, breathe it. I mean, it's what you do. Uh, is there an area um, in technology as far as what, something that's related to TA that you're extremely curious about and, 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 and why? Well, I am fascinated with the general area of automation. That that covers programmatic ad buying. It covers 
artificial intelligence and machine learning, and, and there are some other technologies. But what fascinates me about that is uh, a question that, um, you know, I think we're going to cover um, in the joint event that uh, TA Tech and Direct Employers is going to do later this fall, and that uh -huh. is, can there be such a thing as candidate empathy when there's so much technology touching the candidate? Uh, machines, can machines be empathetic? And if they can't, then if we're using this technology so much, how do we humans who are still in the process, humans are still in the loop, if you will, how do we convey that empathy in a way that we optimize the candidate's experience? Awesome. And I know you mentioned, uh, it kind of got ahead of me a little bit. <laughs> I know we're uh, going to be sponsoring a, or actually co-hosting a conference uh, November 12th and 13th, uh, Strategic Conversations About Talent Acquisition, uh, How Must the Funnel Change? So, um, can you talk a little bit about that conference? I mean, I obviously I know I can, uh, but you're our, our guest today, and I'd rather uh, have you cover that. So, <laughs> well, as as you well know, and can probably describe better than I, uh, it, it, we're very excited about this event because it's completely different from uh, every other conference that we have seen uh, in the digital space. All of those conferences are, are pretty much like a, an in-person conference. They're just delivered on a digital platform. So you log into the conference and you're basically talked at uh, right. for an hour or three hours or five hours, however long the conference goes on. What we've decided to do um, is to make the attendees part of the program. You know, we, what, we're, what we want to do is have strategic conversations about really important topics um, in our space. So each session will begin with a 20-minute discussion, one person from the industry side, one person from the employer side, talking about an important topic like, is there such a thing uh, as candidate empathy in an era of recruitment automation? And then we're going to open up the floor to all of the people who attended the event. So unlike at an in-person event where if you're lucky, you're just one or two, uh, one of one or two people who are called on for a Q&A, what we want to do is actually engage in a, a strategic dialogue with everybody who wants to talk to the speakers or the discussants, if you will, uh, about that particular topic. We can bring them up uh, on the Zoom platform. People can see each other. They can have a, a meaningful co uh, conversation about these topics. And I think that's the way that we really move the needle in terms of mutual understanding and eventually mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think this is going to break new ground. This is going to be a way for people to really uh, engage with thought leaders uh, in an impactful way and to really have their say, to, to be able to offer their views uh, and, and thereby participate in the dialogue. Awesome. What are... Uh Again, I could probably answer this too, but uh, what are some of the topics uh, people can look forward to uh, at the event? Well, let's see. Um, how can a corporate career site help an employer advance its DNI efforts? Um, what steps should recruiters take to ensure that they maximize their ROI in technology? Um, what's the appropriate role for technology in a company that practices? values-based recruitment, uh, and one that, that, you know, is 
is very important given everything we've just talked about. What can recruiters do to ensure their AI-based recruiting tools aren't promoting bias? Awesome. I, I know another thing uh, you mentioned was how there'll be conversation leaders and how you mentioned that there will be um, you know, people from the TA side and then people from the solution provider side as well. Um, you know, the people that we talked about um, from the employer side will be primarily from the TA Tech Top 100. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, there, there is, uh, I think, you know, it's a perfectly appropriate celebration uh, every year of the Top 100 HR influencers. Uh, this recognizes people who are really helping to advance HR in a meaningful way. Uh, and while from time to time, talent acquisition people are included, uh, they really don't get, in our view, uh, the visibility that they deserve. So uh, we are launching in September uh, the top 100 most influential TA thought leaders, be drawn from both uh, employers, staffing firms, uh, uh, RPOs, and from industry. And what we want to do is we want to recognize these folks uh, and, and celebrate the innovation and the uh, advancement that they've helped to ferment uh, in the talent acquisition space. But we want to do it differently than the way other lists like this uh, come out. You know, usually they're kind of one-offs. Hey, everybody, here's the top 100 HR influencers. And, and that's fine. But what we want to do is we want to do the celebration all year long. So we're going to introduce the top 100 in, in four seasonal classes. In other words, uh, in September, we'll, we'll announce the fall class, the first 25 of the top 100 talent acquisition thought leaders. Uh, then in the winter, we'll introduce the winter class and re-celebrate the fall class. So we will acknowledge and, and celebrate these 100 people on an ongoing basis all year long. And we will draw from that group the people who will be the conversation leaders uh, during our event in November. Awesome. I know we're extremely excited uh, about the partnership that we have with CA Tech and also uh, the collaboration we're having on this event. So uh, thank you for, for that. And like I said, we're super, super excited about it. So uh, I have two more serious questions, and then we're going to get into something uh, uh, a little bit more fun, some rapid-fire questions. Uh, one of them I'm just going to throw in there that you're probably not prepared for, but we'll, we'll ask it anyway. So uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I like the whole impromptu thing. And it's, it's fun. But as long as I'm not the one answering the question. Uh, <laughs> so I know that you're writing a book uh, about technology and some other issues that will affect our lives uh, in the coming de decades. Uh, do you want to talk just a little bit about that? Um, I know you've written several books, but I know this will be your, your, your latest. Yeah. Um, well, I mentioned it earlier. I, I, I'm writing a book. I've done the research on this intersection of uh, that point in time in 2040 when machines will become forever smarter than humans and the climate will become or the Earth's surface will become forever hotter uh, and never get cooler. Uh -huh. So uh, what I want to do is to try to uh, 
talk about what I call a perfect catastrophe, but also lay out a roadmap to how we can begin to address those two crises right now. The things that we can do to really be um, the masters of our future rather than the victim. Because I think if we can get past that point of no return and, and turn the crises into opportunities, we will introduce a new era that I call the Neonaissance. You know, the Renaissance was all about looking backwards to classical thinking, classical philosophy, classical literature, and bringing it into the modern era. The Neonaissance won't look backwards, it will look forward. It will look at how can humans work in a world where there is very little, if any, paid employment, because machines will be doing most of the work. And how can humans uh, better, uh, better treat their planet so that they leave the Earth better off for their kids and grandkids than it was when they arrived? Awesome. Any, any more plug for that book? I'm trying to give you some time to. <laughs> well, you, you, you don't want to get me going down that path too, too far, but, but it will be out. Uh, it will be out in January of 2021. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, I've decided that I think this is such an important issue uh, that we're going to, uh, for the first uh, six months or so, we're going to offer it for free to anybody who wants it. It'll be a free download for Kindle, and, and uh, it, 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 I hope that uh, people will read it. I think um, it, it employs a technique uh, that I call newsfeed realism, uh-huh. um, which takes the kinds of information that you see in your newsfeed uh, every day and extrapolates it into what it might be like once we've passed this point of no return. So there is a fictional component to the book, and then I, I think I'm up to you know 185 footnotes. A lot of research went into this book, so it's it's based on fact, it's based on science, uh, but there's also an opportunity to kind of imagine what it would be like if we don't attend to this problem, and if we do, how much better it will be. Nice. I was I was getting ready to ask you for the the, the friends and family discount, uh, book, but now that you're offering it for free, I, I guess I don't have to ask that question later. So uh, <laughs> I'll send you the link as soon as it's ready. Awesome. Uh, one other question I want to ask before we get into having some fun. So, um, what advice would you give uh, employers and talent acquisition professionals as it relates to um, HR technology and and kind of fitting in with kind of the changes that are kind of taking place right now? I know it's a tough question. Well, I, I, I think uh, this is not new. It's certainly not new for me, uh, but I, I think that um, one does not have to be a computer scientist, a data maven, uh, one simply needs to get to the point where he or she is comfortable with technology uh, and uses it as a tool, which is all it is, in his or her work. So I, I think the most important skill that people need to have is the skill of continuous learning. Uh, you know, they have to believe that uh, they're never too old, never too experienced, never too senior to get better, and that part of their job, part of their career advancement, 
is that continuous acquisition of uh, new skills. I, I think the greatest danger that we in talent acquisition have um, is the habit trap. You know, we, we kind of get into a rut of doing things the same way. It gets comfortable. We understand how it works. It's familiar. Um, and uh, we humans as a species just don't like change very much. And unfortunately, the world that we are in, we talked about the accelerating pace of, of the introduction of this new technology. The world we're in is going to be one of not only continuous change, but accelerating change. And the only way to keep up, the only way to maintain one's position with relation to this technology, in, in my opinion, is through continuous learning. Awesome. Great answer. So like I mentioned, we're going to have some fun. Uh, we do this at the end of all of our podcasts. Um, like I said, I'm going to throw you for a loop on some of these, so I'm sure you probably uh, weren't ready for these. But uh, um, feel free to say whatever comes to your mind when I ask these questions. So cell phone of choice. Apple or Android? Apple. Very good answer. We all, well, I know you went to West Point, and we mentioned this earlier, that you are uh, a graduate of West Point. If Navy and Air Force played in a football game, who would you root for, Air Force or Navy? Notre Dame. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, no, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see those two uh, schools mas masquerade as military academies, uh, play football. Uh, you know, it would, it would be entertaining. I, I don't know who my – I would probably, you know, uh, root for Navy in the first half and Air Force in the second half because no matter how hard we compete with one another, uh, you know, they are comrades in arms. We need them and, and we depend on them. So uh, it, it, the competition ends at the edge of the field. Awesome. All right. So most people know that I'm a big Ohio State fan. So in the game, Ohio State versus Michigan, who would you root for? Well, based on what you just said, I, I guess I better root for Ohio State. Oh, I love that answer. Go Buck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Serious, not, well, this is not a serious question, but quality of life or quantity of life? And I guess it is a serious question. Really, so. um, I, I think quality of life. I mean, we, we just had a perfect example of that uh, with Chadwick. Uh, and the, you know, he didn't live a very long life, but man, did he live a high quality one? Yeah. I and mean, you wouldn't even know he was sick all that entire time. So what is one of the things you would put on your bucket list? Can I write, can I put two? I will give you two. Okay. Uh, well, the first one, I mean, I'm, I'm a writer, uh, as you mentioned, I've written over two dozen books. I, uh, so I'd, I'd like to write a book that really had a profound impact on its readers. Uh, I think that's every writer's dream. Um, and the second is, um, I grew up in Verona, Italy. Uh, and uh, I would like to go back and spend more time there. I think it's a magical city and uh, it it's uh, a little bit off the beaten track for most tourists, which really helps it preserve its character and culture. And, and uh, uh, I'd, I'd like to spend some serious time there. 
that uh, is one of the areas I would look well, not that particular city, but Italy would definitely be a place I would consider uh, if I'm fortunate enough to ever retire, that would be a place that I would like to spend uh, a lot of time uh, there. The, the times I've been, uh, it was amazing. So um, definitely understand why you put that on your bucket list. What's the more, most important thing you've learned in life? Uh, that's easy. Nothing's more important than family and friends. I know that you are a lifelong learner. What are you currently learning? I know a lot of us have picked up different things uh, during COVID. Uh, I've actually picked up uh, bourbon drinking. Um, but what are you currently learning uh, right now? Well, one thing I'm learning is how to manage my waistline in a quarantine. Uh, that, <laughs> How's that looking at? That's proven to be uh, a great learning challenge. Uh, but I... I um, my son is uh, was at one point a sous chef, and uh, he is, has got me hooked on cooking. So okay. I'm learning to uh, cook different dishes, uh, and that's that's been a lot of fun for me. Have you uh, found a favorite dish that you enjoy cooking so far? Uh, I do a veal scallopini um, with capers that I'm pretty proud of. Uh, it, it's a it's a New York Times recipe, so I can't claim it as my own, but uh, it it really is divine, and it's not hard to do. All right, last question: What is your favorite fast food restaurant? Oh, the choices are so many. Um, <laughs> I you know I, I'd have to say Taco Bell. Wow. Yeah, I kind of like that spicy stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, have, I have a, son, uh, a son-in-law who, who is uh, Mexican-American, and he really gives me a hard time because to him that's just not authentic uh, <laughs> food. So. <laughs> so I have to sneak off to Taco Bell, but I enjoy it. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, obviously, you're incredibly respected in the industry. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I know you're extremely busy. Uh, and thank you for your continued partnership. Uh, I know we, you and I do differ uh, in how we like our martinis. Uh, I know you're a gin person, and I'm a vodka person. But I uh, thoroughly uh, enjoy talking to you every time we have an opportunity to chat. and. Uh, definitely appreciate, like I mentioned, the partnership. Um, Peter, for the listeners out there, if they want to connect with you, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Uh, well, my email address is my first and last name, Peter Weddle, that's W-E-D-D-L-E, -D -D -E, at org. Uh, and Shannon, listen, it's been, it's been my pleasure. I mean, I always learn something when I talk to you, and uh, we are equally as excited about our partnership with direct employers. We, we hope that uh, we can really uh, bring the dialogue between your members and other employers and our members and other folks on the solution provider side. We can bring that dialogue up a notch or two to everyone's benefit. Well, we, we definitely appreciate that. And uh, like I mentioned, we're super excited and just enjoy, uh, just enjoy our time to get to spend with you. So, 
Um, thanks again, and uh, I'm sure we will talk soon. I'll look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Stay connected with direct employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications of new episodes each month.